Amen. So we're going to continue our survey of the Bible. We're going to begin the book of Nehemiah tonight. This book has been called the second book of Ezra uh, because it's a continuation of the same history. Uh, You know, as we came to the close of the book of Ezra, we found you know, several things in that book. After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, Zerubbabel led a contingency of Jews back to Jerusalem. Uh, You remember the the temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians and the walls of the city were torn down. The people were displaced and the, the city was really nothing at that point and and even desolate and in ruins. And that there was a prophecy by Jeremiah that said that after 70 years that this was going to uh, be restored and the people were going to be brought back to the land and the worship of the true God was going to be restored as well. And so Zerubbabel led that first group of people uh, to begin the restoration of the temple. And then we saw 57 years later, Ezra came on the scene, and Ezra went uh, with the next contingency of people, and this second group came to restore the the worship in the temple that this first group had begun to uh, rebuild, and they began the work of restoring the walls. And uh, remember, it was only a remnant of people that went with these two men, out of an estimated two to three million Israelites, there were only 50,000 of them that chose to go back, and, and they were all given the opportunity to go. And this, this remnant of people chose to go back and to do this restoration work. Um, many of the Jews had become entrenched in the Babylonian culture. They'd been in captivity for... 70 years, and so, you know, their their lives were kind of entrenched with what the Babylonians were entrenched with, and so uh, they probably liked life. Even though they were in captivity, they, they were comfortable in the lifestyle they were in, and they chose to stay there instead of going back to Jerusalem. Uh, after all this time, the walls of the city of Jerusalem were still not fully restored, and and the people who did go back were not safe because the walls are what brought the safety to the city. So it's interesting to me that uh, the name Nehemiah means comforter from God. Uh, I believe the Lord paints a powerful picture of our comforter as we read through this book and uh just kind of gives us that picture of the Holy Spirit who wants to rebuild our lives and restore the walls of our lives and uh, the things that have been torn down by sin and and the gates that have been burned up by rebellion. Uh, I was blessed to hear that last week while I was gone, Pastor Andrew came and shared on the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, out of Acts chapter 1 and uh, how we need the the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers today. And the Holy Spirit is the one who builds our lives up and equips us to 
be the people that God wants us to be and do the things that God wants us to do and and how we need that power. And, and hopefully if you were here and uh, you hadn't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, hopefully you stood up and, and allowed God to fill you with His Holy Spirit. You know, as you listen to Christians, you know, you hear many who will say, you know, I'm a believer in Jesus or I'm born again, but I still have these struggles. I struggle with this or I struggle with that area of my life. And and maybe it's because the Holy Spirit needs to do that work of restoration in that area, uh, a work of rebuilding in that area of your soul and and rebuilding the, the walls of strength. Well, if you're in that place, then I'm I'm glad you're here for the study of Nehemiah. Hopefully the Lord will minister to you as we go through these chapters together. And uh, as we're doing with the other books on Wednesday night, we're just kind of doing an overview. So we're taking a couple of chapters at a time and, and letting the Spirit minister to us. And, and so I, I pray that the, the Lord will give us powerful lessons about how He can restore us and, and restore true worship in our lives and strength to be able to stand. So let's get started. We're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hanani, uh, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates are burned with fire. Now, uh, Shushan was a, a capital city of the Persians, and the, the mention of the citadel tells us that Nehemiah was in a, a fortified area, probably a palace, and no doubt somebody that, that carried a position of importance, as we'll see uh, in the next chapter. Ne- Nehemiah was physically in Persia. I mean, that's that's where he was standing, but his heart was for Jerusalem. His heart was in the land of his fathers. He he was concerned for those uh, survivors of captivity and and the condition of the gates and the the walls of that city, Jerusalem. Now, some would consider him to be a layman in ministry. Zerubbabel kind of represented a politician, Ezra, the priesthood, and now Nehemiah comes on the scene and and he's more of a layman as far as ministry goes. And, and I, I think that shows us something about the Lord. I think it shows that the Lord can use anybody. It doesn't matter what your status is in society, whether you have a high position, a low position, whether anybody knows your name or doesn't know your name. If your heart is yielded to the Lord and you, you have a burden for the things of God, and, and you're spending time with the Lord, then he can use your life in, in any way that he sees fit. And he can have uh, and make an impact on people through your life. And uh, I think that's 
one of the encouragements that we see throughout the Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, that God takes ordinary people and he does extraordinary things. And it's no different for you. I mean, you, you may be sitting here tonight saying, well, you know, I don't, I don't know that, that God could do anything extraordinary through me. Yeah, he can. If, if he empowers you by his Spirit, then of course he can do extraordinary things. Now, it doesn't mean you can do extraordinary things, but God can do that through you. He is fully capable of taking any yielded life and using it for as great a matter as he desires. God has, has done that throughout history. He's taken, he's taken men who have yielded and women who have yielded their heart to him and, and done just amazing things. And uh, the, the key is the position of that person's heart. And uh, I, I don't think that Nehemiah was so much qualified by his ability or the works that he was doing as he was by the heart that he had towards God and towards God's people and, and towards Jerusalem. He, he had the heart that, that's described by the psalmist in, in Psalm 137, verse 5 and 6. It says, if, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. And, and, and I think Nehemiah had that heart. He, he saw uh, God's people. He saw the city of David and, and his heart was just drawn to that. And uh, I, so I think that psalm really describes Nehemiah's reaction to you know, what he heard from his brother Hananiah and uh, others who had come back with this report of the condition of the wall. It, it was because of his heart. He, he was able to be used by the Lord, mightily by the Lord, because of that, that sensitivity to the Lord in his heart. And, and again, he was used way beyond his own capabilities. How true this is for servants of God even today, that God can use you and me in capacities way beyond our own capabilities if we'll just yield our heart to Him, genuinely have a soft heart toward the Lord and the things of God, and, and really to, to sit before Him open to whatever He would like to do. He, he will always use us beyond our capabilities doesn't matter if you're in, quote, full-time ministry or a layman. It, it doesn't matter. God takes a yielded heart and uses them for his glory. And, and God will use that person who yields willingly to him. Notice here that, that Nehemiah is first willing to kind of take that true assessment of the damage that that has been done. It's you know, and if, if this does reveal like the type of the Holy Spirit, as some commentators would say, the, the image would be this, that, that we should allow the Holy Spirit to uh, make that true assessment of the, the spiritual condition or damage that has been done in our lives in order for that true restoration to take place. How necessary it is for us on a regular basis to allow 
the Lord or allow the Holy Spirit to search our, our heart and and really to see the condition of our heart and, and our spiritual condition. In order to do that, you have to give him access. You, you have to spend time with him. You have to you have to give him that authority and permission to come in and, and to search your life. And it's not always an easy thing to do, but, but it comes as we spend time with him. And uh, we, we do that, reading his word, praying, just sitting before him and allowing his spirit to minister to our heart. And, and then, by the power of this same Holy Spirit who is searching us and who is looking for those broken areas and, and those areas that need to be built up and repaired, that same Holy Spirit begins to restore these broken areas of our life and, and to make something useful out of those broken down pieces. And, and he does this to fortify us spiritually, so to speak, in his strength, in the power of his might. You'll be doing, again, things way beyond yourself because it's him at work in you. It's his power coming through you. Now, check out Nehemiah's reaction to what he's told about the walls and the gates to the city. In verse 4, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So when he he hears the condition and he, he recognizes that they're telling him about the destruction of the walls and, and the gates and such. He sat down. Some speculate maybe it, it, it just brought weakness to his knees when he heard about it. and He, he fell before the Lord and, and he sits down to weep before God. Why did it hit him so hard? Why did, why did the news coming to him strike him in this way where it would take him down and he'd begin to weep. Well, I I again think it's because the sensitivity of Nehemiah's heart, that that he was sensitive to what God was sensitive to. He he loved what God loved. He he knew that God loved the city of Jerusalem, that he had a plan for this city. He had a plan for the people of God. And, and I believe that, that when he heard this news, it just brought that, that, that uh, weeping and, and just the, the sadness in his heart. You know, God was about to use Nehemiah to bring change to what was taking place in the city. But first, God had to do something in Nehemiah. And... Uh, David Guzik says it like this. He says, any great work of God begins with God doing a great work in somebody. And and such a powerful truth. I mean, he, he's getting ready to be used for something that's way beyond himself. But before that could happen, God had to do a great work in Nehemiah. And, and so this news just sits on him this heavy and he begins to weep before the Lord and uh, you know, I, I think God prepared Nehemiah long before this moment. He placed him in an important position in Persia, stirring in, 
in uh, him a heart of curiosity about what was taking place in Jerusalem and the, and, and the people of God. And now we see that, that he had a heart that was broken over the news that he's hearing and how needy the city and the people of God were. God knew of this need from heaven's view, but now he gave it to a man from earth's view so that the work can be done. God is is planning to do something great to meet the needs of these people through Nehemiah and his tender heart. It's through this time of of tenderness and, and really just really vulnerability before the Lord where the Lord gives vision and leadership to Nehemiah. God, please give give us this heart. Alan Redpath said it like this, leaders must prepare themselves for a difficult work because it won't be easy. There's no winning without warfare. There's no opportunity without opposition. There's no victory without vigilance. For whenever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. True statement. Nehemiah knew that there was going to be opposition ahead. But he knew that he was commissioned by the Lord. And so he spent this time fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and allowing the Lord just to pour into him what was necessary for the work that was ahead. He prayed many days. Some some believe he prayed up to four months and just sat before the Lord and and prayed and, and sought the Lord for four months before this happened. And he took the stress of of what he had heard to the Lord. Isaiah forty thirty one, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall Run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. It's that time before the Lord where we're renewed, that we're, we're built up and ready to move forward in the things that He's calling our life to do. Prayer is, is crucial to leadership. If, if your vision is so big that only God can accomplish it, then evidently, you need to pray. If if what you're you're seeing ahead of you is so big that you know there's no way I can do it, then prayer is where that victory will be won. It's by calling upon the one who can empower, the one who can cause me to rise above whatever it is, whatever adversity that comes my way. If prayer isn't totally required to accomplish your vision, then your goal isn't big enough. We need to seek the Lord. Think about this deeply. If if we can say to the Lord, I got this one, then it's a dangerous place to be. It's probably not where He wants you to be. We always want to depend on His strength, depend on His wisdom for the things that that are in front of us and in the ministry that He would call us to. 
or against the warfare that we're contending with. We want to depend upon him. We want to make that a regular practice in our life to come before the Lord and to spend time in prayer. You know, this this is one of the most underused arsenals that, that Christians use. You know, we, we always hear that term, when all else fails, pray. Like, wh- why don't we wait till we fail? <laughs> why don't we just pray so we don't fail? Why don't we just pray and seek the Lord at the beginning, and, and maybe we won't have to endure some of the things that we endure. So Nehemiah spends time before the Lord. He, he's weeping, he's fasting, he's praying, and he's, he's concerned, but he's taking the concern to the Lord. And man, that is so needed. You know, yeah, there are things that are going to be a burden on our heart, things that are going to catch us and, and weigh upon us heavy. But, but yeah, when those things happen... Don't just let it make you crash and burn. Let it take you to the feet of the, of the foot of the cross and spend time in prayer, fasting if necessary. Prayer is crucial to leadership. This was his prayer, verse 5. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who you who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Notice the the humility in his prayer. He first recognizes the fact that God is He's on his throne in heaven and that Nehemiah himself is not God. I mean, he recognizes there is a God in heaven and I'm not him. Very important when you're, when you're going to approach the Lord to recognize who he is. How we need this humility when coming to the Lord. There's so many dangerous doctrines that float around Christianity and, and they just seem to recycle themselves with different names and different teachers, but, but they're just dangerous doctrines that, that make us out to be the authority, and we command God what to do, and we tell Him where to go, who He's going to touch, who He's going to... And, and there's, there's almost this attitude that God is subservient to us. It's dangerous doctrine. I mean, when we come to the Lord in prayer, we need to recognize Him for who He is. He's God, not our genie. We don't rub the lamp, say a few magic words, and get the genie to do our bidding. He's the creator of the universe. In all of His glory and majesty, never lose sight of His glory and His power. And then Nehemiah says, 
please be attentive. It shows that that he has this complete dependency upon the Lord that that you know as he's recognizing God for who he is, he's he's kind of throwing himself on the mercy of the Lord and saying, "Lord, please, I beg you, be attentive to what I'm going to pray." That complete dependence The Lord in His graciousness would be graceful enough to hear His prayer. But also notice the address. He says, I pray, Lord God of heaven. You know, I just returned from a a police chaplain conference and, you know, there's a whole variety of people who become police chaplains. Uh, Some... You know, they worship nature, they worship trees and birds and fish. and Yeah, there's just some weird ducks. And it's interesting when you listen to them pray, you can tell right away when somebody has a relationship with God or they're just addressing some being out there somewhere in the universe that they have no connection with. And you, you can tell because, you know, they'll begin their prayer, Oh, eternal one, you know, great majestical power of the universe. You're like, what? <laughs> How about my father? <laughs> you know, this, this is my father you're talking about. It seems so vague or disconnected from a real relationship with God. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, In this matter, therefore pray, Our Father who art in heaven. A connection. There's a relationship. I'm a child of God. He's my Father. I'm, I'm petitioning my Father in my prayer. And so, so when we look at this prayer, He speaks a relationship with God and where God is in heaven. (laughs) And so, again, it it shows humility as as Nehemiah begins this prayer. There's, There's a humility in knowing who he is and who God is. And the fact that through relationship with God, he can, he can come and he can petition him. And then notice the confession of sin, the nation's sin and his own. He, he comes and he's honest before the Lord and, and there's confession, coming clean. You know, when, when sitting before the Lord in humility, it, it really does give way for the, the Holy Spirit to reveal those areas of weakness, those areas of sin in our life. And, and when he does, there, there needs to be confession. We need to come clean before the Lord. It's not a time for us to bring excuses to the Lord. You know, I, well, yeah, yeah, I messed up, but this is why, you know, the devil made me do it. You know, it's not a time for excuses. It's time to come clean. Lord, I messed up. But I want a right heart before you. I want to 
I want to get my life back on course. And then as you're praying, the, the Spirit can do that. It's a time for purging and confession to take place. He continues the prayer in verse 8. He says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me, if you're unfaithful, I'm sorry, unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts, part of heaven, the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. And, and so now he comes to the, the time where he would petition. He's addressed the Father. He's established relationship. He's came in that humility and confession. And now the petition comes. But, but I think we need to recognize something in Nehemiah's prayer. He didn't rush right into petitions. This, this is commonplace today. We, we're so busy. Uh, we, we fill our lives with so much today as believers that sometimes we're, we're just like, we throw out ten petitions to the Lord and that's the gist of our prayer life. And, and there's really no relationship in there. It's just... You know, hey God, can you can you do this for me? Hey God, I'm doing this. Can you do this for me? And 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 that's the the sum of our prayer life. We only allow two minutes, maybe a day, to pray. Nehemiah first establishes relationship with the Lord, acknowledging who He is, then His own condition, the condition of the people He's praying for, and and this gives way to recognizing the faithfulness of God to keep His Word to His people. And, and so, even in His petition, He's saying, Lord, You promised this to Your people. You promised You would be graceful and merciful to Your people and to those who would call upon You and, and would confess their sin and those who would honor You. You know, this is a, a powerful way to come to the Lord by asking Him to remember His promises. Lord, Lord you made a, a promise to Moses and the nation, He says. I ask you to make good on that promise. Nehemiah quoted from promises given in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. And, and this is, is no doubt, this is one aspect of power in prayer to plead the promises of God back to the Lord in prayer. You know, I've talked about this before, but there's there's an organization, it used to be called Moms in Touch, now it's Moms in Prayer, I believe the name is. And uh, one of the one of the things that they teach the mothers to do is they're praying for their children. It's a group that prays for children in school and prays for the teachers and and, and such. But one of the things they, they teach the mothers to do is to pray Scripture back to the Lord on behalf of their kids and to intercede for their kids with the very promises that they're reading in the Scripture. And it, you, you can't go wrong if you're praying God's Word back to Him. 
I mean, how much more in line with the will of God could you be than to, to be speaking his word back to him and reminding him of what he's promised for your life or that person or that group or, or whatever it is you're, you're interceding for. You're, you're praying the very truth of God. And, and so it's not going to be like God says no. He's not going to say no to himself. I mean, this is his word. We we need to spend time in God's Word to have it flush through our mind and and wash our mind and and come to our remembrance when we face adversity, when we face difficulty, that we can bring to remembrance that Word and we can even pray that back to the Lord. Lord, I know I'm looking at this, but Your Word says that it cannot have power over me. And, And You're just reminding him of what he's promised to you. And in doing that, you're reminding yourself of God's promise and his truth. I know when my kids were young and they would come to me and say, Dad, you promised. I might have cringed because sometimes I promised things I, I didn't want to do. But God doesn't cringe when we when we remind him of his promises. He delights in that. He's like, "Wow, you're attentive. You're you're paying attention to what I said." He doesn't say praise the Lord. I would say praise the Lord. And ending his prayer, Nehemiah said this, verse eleven: "O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant." and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Lord, be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2. It says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, be attentive. Hear my prayer. Now all of this time in prayer, he's establishing his heart and and, and proper understanding of who he is before God and, and establishing himself in the promises of God. And now he can... He can bring this prayer for change, knowing that it's God and God alone who's going to be the power behind any change that takes place. God alone is the one who can move upon the king to give the permission to go and restore the walls. And I noticed something else here. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And it would have been a a place of prominence. You know, it started as a position that would just drink whatever the king was going to drink to make sure that he didn't get poisoned or whatever. But but over over time, this this position actually developed into a position of prominence. We, We know that at this time in history that it evolved into an advisor position I mean, you got to think about this for a moment. That that cupbearer had to be the most trusted person to the king because 
this this is the person that could sabotage him because he's the one that tests everything that the king would eat or drink. And so this is a, a trusted person to the king. And so what I notice in this is, again, it shows the humility of Nehemiah. Even with this position of such influence, he, he could have relied on his own position to be able to give way uh, to speak to the king. But in humility, he knew that any true change that this king would authorize, any change to the king's heart would come via the Lord and not his ability to manipulate from his position of prominence. And so he asked the Lord to, to prosper him as he comes before the king. And how we need to learn a lesson for this. I, I don't care who you are or what position you have in life, whether it's great or insignificant, we all need to come to the Lord when we're going to be used by Him. We can't rely on our own places of prominence. We can't rely on the reputation that we have to fulfill the Lord's commission for our life. We, we have to rely on the Lord. We have to rely on His strength. And so we come to Him yielded, recognizing His power and His authority in our lives. This, this is so needed in order to make any kind of lasting impact on our society. And so Nehemiah has petitioned the king and he's, he's now ready to approach the king. In chapter 2 it says, and, he, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes when wine was before him that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore, the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Uh, the, the time listed here is where some believe that he prayed for four months before petitioning the king, because four months has transpired. I mean, you can deduce that from what we're reading. But it may be that he didn't pray the whole four months and just waited to address the king. And, um, you know, we don't know that for sure, but it, it looks like four months of prayer. But either way, in his position of prominence before the king, again, uh, the cupbearer was trusted by the king. The king's life was in his hand, and surely a, a close relationship between the two men the king recognizes, you know what, there's a change in his countenance. He's, he's never looked like this before, so he recognizes there's something going on in Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah has fear. I mean, at, at the king's word, it could be off with your head. And so, this is what he says in verse 3. He said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? And so he steps out in faith, 
tells the king the real reason for him being down and why he's, he's sad. He explains that it's because of the condition of the city that, that has captured his heart, the city of his people. But check this out. In verse 4 it says, when the king said to me, then the king said to me, what do you request? What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Rebuild it. It's interesting. The king asks him, what is it that you want? Instead of just firing out the answer, it says he prayed. Now, did he go back and pray for four months before he came and told the king the petition? No. This is one of those times where it was a quick prayer. And he, he prayed and asked the Lord, well, how, should I, how should I deliver this to him? It couldn't have been a long prayer. You remember when Peter took his eyes off Jesus as he was walking on the water? And it says he began to sink. Peter didn't have a long prayer. He said, Lord, save me. That was it. That was his prayer. He, he didn't say, oh, benevolent Father in heaven. You know, he didn't like carry on. He said, Lord, save me. I mean, there are times when you just need to pray and get to it. Jesus warned his disciples with this, Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen as, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Both Nehemiah and Peter show us the, the opposite, that it's not the, the length of your prayer that matters. You, you can pray quickly and very successfully if your heart is in tune with the Lord. If you're, if you're regularly spending time with the Lord, your heart's in check, and you can, you can pray on the spot. Now, I find myself uh, doing this often as I, as I face different decisions, as I'm counseling with people and ministering to folks. I, I, you know, there, there are things I just, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what the Lord would have me say, and so... I take a brief moment and say, Lord, help. I don't know what to say to this person who's asking me this advice. And so I can throw a quick prayer out there. When I get chaplain call-outs for the sheriff department, there's sometimes I get called out to stuff that is just so chaotic. I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. And so I'll pray, Lord, I don't know what to do but I know you do. And so I trust you. I trust that you're going to give me the wisdom, the ability to do what's in front of me. And so we, we shoot that prayer up for wisdom. Lord, please, hear my prayer. Help me in this. Help me to hear you. Help me to speak from your heart as I'm talking with this person. Help me to make a decision with your wisdom. You know, if, if you're faced with a decision... Pray. Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but I know you do. Give me your wisdom. 
Things are so much better when we, we stay close to the Lord and communicate with Him often. Even in the smallest of situations. Nothing is too small. Nothing is too big to take to the Lord in prayer. The old hymn goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Not some things, everything. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. There's nothing too little, there's nothing too big. We can petition Him in any situation. And so after the prayer, Nehemiah petitions the king to send him to Jerusalem. Verse 6, Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber that makes beams for the gates and of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. That time Nehemiah had spent in prayer, and fasting, obviously, was a time of listening to the Lord. He came away with a plan, and now he shares it with the king. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Through this, or though this was an earthly king, with no allegiance to the Lord whatsoever, Nehemiah lays out God's plan and the king grants permission and recognizes the Lord's hand upon him. The king answers, but it really is the Lord moving the king. In verse 9 he says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letter, and now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me when Sanballat, the Hornite, when Tobiah the Ammonite officially heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that the man of God had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So when Nehemiah reached his destination, there was already opposition. There are three men that we're going to meet in our text, two of them listed here, Sanballat and Tobiah. You're going to meet Geshem, the Arabian, later on. But these three men were the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people. And they rose up to hinder that work of the, the, the rebuilding of the walls. Now uh, they, they came against the rebuilding of the temple. Now they're going to come against the rebuilding of the wall. And we're going to see more of these enemies as we move through Nehemiah's book here. And, uh, but, but now let's focus on the fact that when we're obedient to the Lord... And we say, yes, okay, Lord, I'm 
humbly before you and I don't know how I can do this, but if you're calling me, I'll go and I'll go in your power. If, if we react to the Lord that way, then we can expect there's going to be opposition, just like there was for Nehemiah. Folks, we have a real enemy that hates us. He's real. Satan is real. And he hates you. And he doesn't want you to prosper. He doesn't want you to advance the kingdom of God in any way that will have an effect on another person coming to the Lord. He doesn't want to see restoration results from God's work in our lives. And so he comes against us. And sometimes he does it through people. Sometimes through circumstances. But know this, he's the one creating the confusion to redirect our course. The the battle is not with what we can see, but it's with an unseen world. There's, There's a battle raging over your life. Paul describes it like this in Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. But there's, there's this unseen world that is at war over us, trying to redirect our course, trying to redirect our focus away from God and onto the trial, onto the situation, whatever it is the enemy lays before us. He's trying to confuse us all so that we will not have an effect for the kingdom of God. Now notice when this opposition came. Not at the heart stage, not at the vision stage, not at the prayer stage. Not at the planning stage, but when he stepped out and progress began, that's when the opposition came against him. Verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and I was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men, I and a few men with me, I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do at Jerusalem nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent serpent well and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. And then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. And then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or others who did the work. So he arrives in Jerusalem, didn't want to stir anything up, so under the the cover of darkness at night, he, he goes out to make the inspection to take in the condition of the city. He didn't have a great entourage with him. He went out just to do the survey and see what the, the actual problem was. Again, he 
came in humility. He didn't come with all of the authority of the king. He came in humility to serve it. In verse 17, Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which has been good upon me, and also the king's word, words that he spoke to me. So they said, let us rise up and build, and they set their hands to this good work. And, and so this humble leader casts the vision for the people. It's not his own vision, but the one that came from the Lord. And, and the, the people see that the hand of God is upon him. He, he told them, you know, the Lord, the Lord brought me for this purpose. Powerful stuff. Casting vision. So important to, to bring folks into the vision that the Lord had given him. Casting vision to, uh, led the people to put their hands to work. I mean, this, this is what brought the people into the work that God wanted to accomplish was the fact that he could he could cast that vision before them. And I was thinking about this in light of what the Lord has done here in the last eight and a half years at Calvary Chapel Apple Valley. And you know when I when I came here, the Lord made it simple. I mean the vision you see it every week when you walk out of here. You're now equipped to reach people for Jesus in our community and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That, that's our vision. It's not real complex that the Lord is raising up a group of people in His power to reach our community for Jesus and beyond. That's the, that's the calling of our church. And, and over the last eight and a half years, I've watched the Lord do that. And, you know, there's, there's not a real complexity to the vision, but it is a vision. I mean, it is what the Lord wants us to do as a church. And, and I've watched people come and, and catch that vision and get excited about people coming to Christ and, and people in our community getting saved and people in other communities getting saved. And, you know, we've, we've watched uh, a couple of guys get sent out of here to be pastors. And we have Gary Jr. over in Victorville. We have Doug in Danville, Virginia now reaching other communities with that same vision. We have people on the mission field that have that same passion to reach people for Jesus. And, and, and so we, we see that it, it's taken hold and it's, it's something that the Lord has blessed and He's using to reach people for His kingdom. It's been a blessing to watch. He's a good God. And, and it's not... Anything that, that one person has done, it's, it's people catching the vision that God has given us and, and moving in that vision. Well, now because the Lord is, is moving in our midst, we can expect there's opposition to that. We don't like opposition, but we can expect it. In verse 19, when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us. They despised us. And they said, what is this thing you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And so I answered them and said to them, 
The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. And so the enemy raises his forces to bring discouragement and to stop. As soon as the the work begins, they try to bring discouragement to the work. Distorting the truth to bring doubt. You know the enemy is a liar, right? When he lies, he speaks his native language. And so we should expect when a great work begins that there's going to be distortions and lies and uh, an enemy coming against that work, trying to have an effect on the advancing of the kingdom of the Lord. I love Nehemiah's reaction to their confusion. He brings it right back to the Lord. He's like, hey, you're coming against me, but this is God's plan. This is God's work. Standing in the power and the might of the Lord, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And we stand in Him to do His work, to accomplish His purposes. We stand in His power. David Guzik says this, there's a, a touch of holy boldness in Nehemiah's response. Go ahead and take your best shot. It won't work. God is with us. He isn't with you. You will fail. We will prosper under the hand of the God of heaven. Love that. Go ahead, take your best shot, but you're coming against God. This is his plan. I can stand in his plan. I can stand in his power. And so he he speaks God's promises to the enemy and then stands in the power of God's word, not in fear of the enemy. Lord, may we capture this principle for our lives to not fear the enemy, but to stand in God's power. I pray the Lord will encourage you to spend time in His presence, allowing Him to speak into your life, giving you the confidence to trust in Him, to trust Him at His Word, to humbly recognize His solutions for the things that you're facing and His power in your life. And then, humbly, act upon His promise. Even when there's opposition, act on His promise. You are and you can be victorious in God's calling upon your life in the power of His might. Stand in Him, and then let's see the mighty hand of God work in our midst and continue to reach people in this community and beyond, for his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example that we see in Nehemiah. We thank you for um, just the, the humility that we see in him, the trust that he has in you, the faithfulness to act upon the things that you have shown him. Lord, may we take these principles and form our life around them. Lord, I pray that you would stir that desire in us to spend time with you, to pray and to seek your face and to know your word and your promises and to be firmly planted. Lord, may we humbly recognize your solutions to the problems and situations in our life. And then 
go the direction that you want us to go and to stand firm in your promise, Lord. May you use this church to advance your kingdom, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.